0: That's pretty cool, huh? We'll have our picture in the bulletin next week. Yeah, it'll be official. Uh, Okay, a couple more announcements. We have Fall into Fun coming up in a couple of weeks. So I wanted to plug this one myself because it's always been my baby, and and I want your candy. So, uh, yeah, we need lots of candy to make it happen. So you can't come to church next week without a bag of candy. You may forget your Bible. Because you forgot your Bible anyway, didn't you? Yes. But do not forget a bag of candy or, a, like, I don't know, I'll shame you or something. Uh, but, yeah, we need some. And uh, uh, also, you guys are more than welcome to get your little smartphones out or your dumb phone or whatever you, it is to you. And um, uh, you guys can check in, do the social media thing. But there's also a uh, Fall into Fun event that I want I need your help on inviting the community and like if you're if you're like an introvert and antisocial like I am Just invite them with an email. That's it's that simple or invite them with the Facebook event thing So we just need your help getting the word out and it's gonna be a great event This is an outreach that we do. This is the way that we serve our community This is this is how we serve families is through living nativity And so it it gets us geared up So uh, we're gonna ticket it this year not because we have to ticket it, but it's a free ticket So all the little game booths are all going to be free. We are going to charge, I think, for pony rides because prices are going up, right? And um, so we just need to be able to cover our costs this year specifically. And so we're going to charge for pony rides and, I don't know, maybe the dunk tank thing, things like that. So don't freak out. Just please don't freak out. There's a method to the madness. We want to get people you know, used to kind of signing up for stuff right? And the main idea is for Nativity. We want to get them used to signing up through the, the Eventbrite thing because when Nativity comes, uh, we have to segment the times, or we're going to have a huge train lyric. I mean, it was great last year, but the line went from, it went from the entrance yeah. all the way up Andrew Drive into Claremont Boulevard. Yeah. And, so, and, so like there was, and that was like a specific time, right? But then like, like at 9 o'clock, there was like five people. So what we're going to do so I'm, just, I'm just trying to train the people to, to get the event thing going. So that way we can, you know, have people sign up for specific times during nativity. So people, aren't, people waited like two hours to go through. And so, so we just don't, we want to be able to, to balance it out. Does that make sense? So we're going to strategize it. <laughs> All right. So there's that. Um, and then, you know, I think that's it. I think I'll stop. All right, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you so much for this incredible day and uh, I pray right now that you will continue just to pull us into relationship with you, the ability to talk with you on a real level. God, I pray that as we begin to mature, that we will, we will pray our tears and pray our fears and pray our anger, God. I pray that it will be vented in, in, a, in a healthy way so that we can just continue to, to not only be successful in our lives, but, God, we will be that, that follower of Christ that you've designed us to be, that you've foreseen, that you've knitted together. And So we just we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Give us wisdom and insight into your word this morning. Amen. All right, so we're doing a, like a little mini series on Psalms, and it's basically coming out of uh, my desire to have a better prayer life. And we have, um, you know, there's uh, different seasons in spiritual life, right? There's, there's. Uh, we just kind of go through different types of modes. And, you know, sometimes you're on fire for God. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're like you're a bookworm. Sometimes you're just like all you want to do is worship. So, and those are all okay. I just, I know that for me in my own personal life, like the, like prayer needs to be kicked up because I noticed myself whining a lot to God and, you know, just, you know, going through the motions, right? Right. It's like, if I had a rosary, I'd be clicking off rosary beads, right? No, no, I mean, I mean and there's nothing wrong with rosaries. And, and my personality needs some structure. So I'm not saying um, that that's necessarily a bad thing. But what I do notice is that, okay, I've lost a bit of a, of, a, of a personal connection with God. This is specifically hard for guys. It's actually harder for guys to pray than it is for gals. And, and what, what guys need to do is you just need to be able to have... An honest conversation with God. Amen. You need to talk to Him like you would talk to, you know, your dad or or a buddy or or somebody. It just it needs to be real. And so this is kind of this is kind of the area that we're going into. Last week we talked about the emotions of, of sadness and grief. The, the Psalms are very real. They're very raw. They're, they're extremely emotional. Uh, they they make you cringe at times when you read them and. Um, last week we looked at the idea, okay, our church and personally, and, and then, you know, the thing with Oregon, like we're processing grief, right? It's like, oh, this is, this is sad stuff. And, and, the, the two fears or the two dangers that, or the two extremes that we could have is like you just, you just bury your emotions all together. You don't, you don't cry. You're not sad. You don't grieve properly. Your impulse is just to bury the emotion and forget about it. And we all know that that's not healthy, right? That will eat you up on the inside. Now, on the other extreme is like you just let the emotions control you. What, hap- what would happen if you, just, if you did what, what the secular world says to do, that all emotions are good, all emotions are, are valid, and therefore they control you? So you just let this sadness control your life, right? How, I mean, that would be depressing. Yeah. And we, I mean, we have it, right? We have it. And so there's a better way. There's a third way. And that's the, what David discovered. He was able to pray. He was able to take his grief and his sadness into the presence of God and pray it through he was able to take his fears which we 're going to talk about today and pray them through he was taking his anger into the presence of God and pray it through he didn 't bury it and he wasn 't controlled by it either. He learned this secret he strengthened himself in the Lord and that that 's what we 're after all right so it is said that one of the most primal Emotions we have as human beings is fear. Like that's the first. That's like right up there. It it, it trumps doubt. It trumps uh, excitement. It trumps uh, even sadness and grief. The first emotion that we experience as a human, arguably, is fear. Just think about being a baby inside of your mom's tummy. Everything is nice and warm and you're well fed and everything is, you know, you know the sounds aren't sharp and it's just, it's just a really comfortable place. And then one day your world is changed in an instant by this incredible force of violence and you are born... I mean, the reason why we don't remember our births is because we'd all be suffering from post-traumatic stress <laughs> syndrome, for real, right? You this think about how dramatic that was, and so you come out, and all of a sudden you go from warmth and being well-fed, and then also you've got bright lights, and you've got people busy and looking at you and picking you up upside down and hitting you and sticking their fingers in your mouth. And <laughs> it's cold. You know, and what, What's the emotion the babies emote? It's, it, it's fear, right? It's not doubt. It's not grief. It's not, you know, that. That's the only thing they've got going for them right now. Is they're they're scared. There's there's fear there. So, is fear good or bad? Yes. <laughs> Now, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of teachings going out in in the Christian community, specifically the charismatic uh, teachings right now. They're completely valid, they're 100% true, but they they will say that that fear is bad. And, And yes, it is. But fear is also good. Like, we, it is, it is, we were built to have fear in our lives. I just... You know, if you just believe that, that fear in and of itself is bad, um, that's not a belief that you want to have in the woods when you confront a bear. Right? Oh, you know, I, the Lord says not to fear. I read the bumper sticker. Fear not. That bear will eat you. He's not going to care about your Bible study. The bear will eat you. He doesn't care about your theology. And so there is these, we have to have it. Like, we have to have the, the impulse to fight or flight. We, you're not going to like, some of you won't like this, but we actually have to have the impulse to fear for our jobs at times. Like, if you just take your job for granted, and if you're just getting lazy and, you know, showing up late and working late, and, um, and if you don't fear that you'll be fired, well, that's not Good. Like, you need to fear that. You need to protect your job. Some of us need to fight for our jobs. That's how God wired us. So to say that all fear is, is evil is not, is, is not accurate. Now, when we read through the Bible, we see, all right, well, perfect love casts out all fear. Thus that, saith the Lord, right? Uh, 1 John 4. Uh, so we have that scripture, which is very powerful, and it's very true, but we get confused. Because what is really being expressed is there is uh, there's this, there's this fine line between a healthy fear, a God-given fear that will protect us, and anxiety. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Because anxiety, fear that, uh, that has no tangible effect on us, a, a fear that is debilitating, right? Right? So if you have if you're in the woods and you run into a bear and you get anxious, you don't fight and you do not run away, what do you do? You freeze. And that's just that's bad too. That's just as bad as ignoring the emotion of fear that will save your life. Anxiety is just as dangerous. That bear will eat you whether you deny his existence or whether you're just anxious and you freeze up. It's going to eat you. And so we have to we have to keep in our mind, okay, what is, what, what is this difference between a healthy fear and anxiety? All right. So let's take a look. Um, we're going to be looking today at Psalms three. Let's read it. Uh, if your Bible has like a little, uh, introduction to this Psalms, it's a Psalm of David, uh, when he fled from his son, Absalom. So his, okay, this is really bizarre. um, if you don't know the story, David was the king of Israel, well-established, along in years, probably had grandkids and a bunch of other kids, and, and his son pulls off a coup d'etat and runs him out of, the, out of the kingdom. I mean, you thought you had a bad day? How would you like it if your son deposed you and then sent an army after you to kill you? You're going to be expressing some emotions, I think. You're going to be going through some grief. This this is really heavy stuff. So whenever you think you have a bad day, just read the Psalms. But this is what's going on now. Uh, when you study Psalms, uh, you know David wrote. He wrote a large majority of it, or and a large majority of it is attributed to him. Uh, so he wrote this. But this is this is later in life. And as you continue reading on, you read Psalms 150, not 150, uh, 139, 139 might have happened when. Saul was chasing him down. So my my point is is that when you read Psalms and when you study it, you've got to come to the understanding that it was not written chronologically, which is really annoying. <laughs> like if you're a history person or if you think linearly, right? You wanna you wanna think chronologically. Well, they don't. It, it it's all over the map. Right. So this is not done in order. This is the later part of his life that we're reading in Psalms 3. This is what happens when you allow musicians and poets write, to write the Bible. They, know they don't, it is, I think it will, I feel that it would be good here. That's what happened. So so if you're frustrated when you read the Psalms, okay, understand it's like all over the map. It's different authors at different times. Uh, there's like some really weird mystery mysterious purpose for organizing it that way I haven't figured it out yet so once I do I'll let you know but it's like I don't know this segmented into five parts all kinds of crazy stuff no one can figure this out by the way anyway so here we go this is him expressing his feelings his emotions when his son has kicked him out of the kingdom and uh maybe he's freaking out let's let's see Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory. The one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side arise lord deliver me my god strike all my enemies on the jaw break the teeth of the wicked for the lord from the lord comes deliverance may your blessings be on your people all right this is huge this is what he does now a lot of some of the psalms are called laments like you know, it's David crying about something, right? It's, there's a lot of whining going on. But uh, it is my, the way I read this, the, my interpretation of this is that there's actually a lot of confidence and a lot of strength in this one. Like this is not David's first rodeo. This is not the first time somebody has kicked him out and is hunting him down like a dog and wants to kill him. He's he's experienced this once before. And when he emotes it, when he explains it in the other Psalms, like when Saul's chasing him down and has him hiding in a cave, there's a lot more whining going on. I'm not here, I'm not trying to diminish the pain because it is his son this time that is stabbing him in the back. But he has learned some secrets in in his life to where he strengthened himself in the Lord. And there's only a very small portion at the very beginning that says, you know, my enemies are assailing me, Lord. How many are my foes? They're saying bad things about me. And he moves right into, but you are my shield. You are the lifter of my head. You are my glory. So he begins to identify immediately, changes the way he thinks. He gets his emotions out. This is what I'm going through. But you've done these things. All right. You guys get it? Now there's two different levels of, of fear that, that David experiences right here at this moment. So we talked about the fear that you need to have that will save your life. He's experiencing this. He is in a, flight or a fight or flight mode. Right now he's fleeing. He's running away because he wants to save his life. So fear has motivated him out of the kingdom and into hiding because he doesn't want his son to kill him. So he's motivating out of that, that, that self-preservation mode, which is, which is great, right? So we see that. You know, How many are my enemies? I've got to get out of here. But the other part is that he is also, he's also working through uh, not only a survival fear but an anxiety fear. And this is one that we deal with. Maybe somebody's not trying to kill you yet um, but we do experience the second force of fear, which is re- say, like in your mind, so fear slash anxiety, and there is no ab- there is no tangible concrete force that is that is the threat the threat is abstract because what is, what, what does he say he says, my My enemies are saying bad things about me. Let's let's look at it again real quick. It's uh, verse 2. Many are saying of me God will not deliver him. Right? So that's what people are saying. So the fear is based in that anxiety of people are saying God will not deliver him this time. Interesting, huh? I mean, why? Well, it's because it's legitimate. Like, like, David hasn't been a good ruler. He's, well, I mean, usually when we read it, you know, we read the story of him and Bathsheba, you know, we call it adultery. But if we were to put that in our context, in our setting, uh, we have another word for what he did. It's called rape. So he's a rapist because he forced himself on another person. That's our definition, right? And he's a murderer. And clearly he's a bad father because his son is trying to kill him. And he's lost. He's lost his title of being king. He's lost his position of being the spiritual leader of a nation. So not only was he like the political ruler, he actually, he was like this weird priest king. This is why he was able to run around in his underwear in front of the temple. It's like he just had this, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, <laughs> he did. But he was, he was identified as, as the spiritual leader of this, of this place. And, and power, and all of a sudden it's all gone. Everything that he had is gone. And so we, we, there's these two types of fears, right? And he's like, well, how does this apply to me? Well, it applies, folks. You, it, it, this is probably one of the most applicable messages that you could have ever listened to because uh, we do face fears, natural fears, like, you know, getting run over and, you know, self-preservation. Like your kid's about ready to fall off the slide and the adrenaline hits you. That fear drives you to save your kid and you're stronger than you were before, right? Have you ever had these experiences? But what he is learning, what, 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 what David has learned over the years is that I can't allow myself to be anxious, not only about my physical body, but I can't allow myself to be anxious with what people are saying about who I am and my identity in Christ. Everything was taken away from him. And he does four amazing things that we need to learn that will be that directly applies to our life. So the first thing that he does in verse three is he keeps going. Keeps going. How does he keep going? He says this He says, You are a shield around me. That's a very interesting phrase on a couple of different levels. There's different types of shields. Like there's these little short shields for hand-to-hand combat, right? Um, But the shield that is around you, uh, David and Paul have some of those, right? They're big. Some of them are the size of doors, and they, they bend around. And when your general gives you a big shield that bends around you, um, it, it's game time, folks. It, like in our mind, and when we read scripture, when we say, oh, the Lord is a shield, you know, I have the, the, the shield of faith. We think that we, we take that as a defensive posture that God is going to protect us from advances, from, from attacks. It's, it, it's further from the truth. Because when David says, you are a shield around me, what he's really, and they knew this, when your general gave you a big shield, you're going to an attack a fortified city. That's not what you wanted to hear, is it? Usually when you want to hear, like when, when bad things are happening, you want, to, you want to retreat. And you need this shield of safety. And you want protection. And you want to go into your happy place. But that's what the word of God says. The word of God says when things get difficult and, if you, and the Holy Spirit gives you that shield, you are to advance with that shield. Because they were designed to take cities. They were designed for advancement. I do think also that David thinks in this abstract way that, this, you know, that there is this, this overall protection of the shield. Another interesting thing about the way that this is worded, because God's got weapons, right? Right? God's got his bow and arrow, and he's got his sword, and he's got his javelin. So the Bible talks about, you know, the weapons of God. It's all, you know, il- you know, it's for illustration purposes. But here, and only here, does it say that God is a shield. It's not that God has a shield and we get to use it. No, God is the shield. That's interesting. Uh, and, and David didn't come up with this, by the way. Um, Abraham came up with it, or he understood this truth back in Genesis 15. He said the same exact thing. You are my shield. It's not that you shield me. You are my shield. So we need to begin to think about that in that way. God is the shield. God has weapons, but God is the shield for us. And so this is difficult, folks. Because when we are in difficult situations, when we have this impulse of fear, God does not want us to retreat. And I know this is tough. Because we, in our minds we're thinking, um, God is not the author of evil. Why would, why would God want bad things to happen to me? Okay, God does not want bad things to happen to you. The Holy Spirit, our general... Yes, he's our counselor, he's our comforter, but he's also the one that sends us into battle too, folks. Holy Spirit sent his son into the desert to be tempted. He's not the author of evil, but he will do the same to us. And when the Holy Spirit is giving us us this shield, and he's saying, all right, I know you're scared, I know you have fear, I know you're freaking out, there's the battle, go. And it doesn't make sense, right? Right? And we begin to move forward and we begin to take on darts and we, it's, you know, oh, it's spiritual warfare. The enemy's getting me. God's not with me. This must be the wrong direction. Usually the right direction is difficult. The right direction moving forward is actually harder, right? Where God's calling you is harder than you retreating. See, we think that retreating and, and protecting and getting our shield and covering is, 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 is going to save us, but it's not. God wants us advancing forward with our shields. Obedience is very difficult. Obedience is one of the hardest things that we could possibly do. Because it takes force of will to move forward. The easy thing is to retreat, right? Because you don't, you're running away from conflict. But what's, Shields don't work when you're running away, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're running away, what's exposed? Your back. Although it might seem easier, you might be running away from conflict. You might be running away from a difficult situation. But can you see when you don't have the Lord in front of you, when you you have chosen to disobey? You were saying, step off, God. <laughs> I, it, no, it's so tough, isn't it? You run away from what God's called you to do. You expose your back. It's, it it could be fatal at times. It could be, will God come in and save you for making stupid decisions? Yes. God will even violate your free will at times to save you and your kids, Yes. Honestly, it depends on how spiritually mature you deem yourself. If you deem yourself to be spiritually mature and you know, I'm 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 not a spiritual infant anymore and I'm I'm tired of milk and I want to eat meat and if you run, if you turn to hell and run and expose your back and you're saying, God, I don't want you to protect me, I don't trust you, I don't obey you well it could be fatal. Yeah, God will violate people's free wills. He will save people's lives. He will pull them out of dumb mistakes. But at some point in our spiritual walk, um, we have to develop some spiritual common sense. It's just the way that God works. So we don't want to run away. Some of the and and see and this is a, this is a, an illustration David himself experienced in life. When David was retreating, when he was. You know, taking care of himself when he was lounging on his couch, he looked out the window, he saw Bathsheba, that's where he fell. Where did God call him to be? God wanted him in the front of the battle, and he retreated, and then he fell, and it was fatal. And actually, this thing with Absalom is a result of that too. It was fatal for him to not be fighting. All right. <clears throat> so, the first thing we've got we to keep on going, right? Move forward. Don't retreat when we're afraid. Second thing is we've got to realign ourselves back up with our identity. We have to relocate our glory. And this is, and again, this is, this is tough for most guys. But um, we have to say, all right, this is who I am in Christ, and all of my other attachments are not nearly as important. These things that are keeping me up at night. Did you guys catch, like, like David's lost it all. He's lost his money, he's lost his family, he's lost his kingdom, and he's sleeping at night. Right? I mean, People are trying to kill him, and he's, he does not fear, and he sleeps at night. I mean, if you're struggling with, with, with um, not being able to sleep, Listen, pay attention. He's able to do this because he's like, all right. Like it's bad, but I know who I am. I know where my glory lies. What people are saying about him is like, you're not a good leader. You're not a good dad. You're not a good king. And he's like, yeah, but my glory is with you. You are my glory. All right, so uh, what glory is kind of a, a, a religious word, right? It's kind of a spiritual world word. What does it mean? It means weightiness. It means significance. It means identity. And so where is your glory? Have you ever asked yourself that? Where is your glory? Where is your significance in this life? Where is your meaning in this life? And it, it could be wrapped up into a, a lot of different areas. For guys, it's usually the career, right? Our, our complete identity is, is wrapped up into the career. Sometimes for ladies, th- our complete identity is wrapped up into the relationship, you know, we have to have the perfect mate, right? We have to perf- that, that perfect relationship that is going to define who we are. Maybe it's having the perfect family or, or, or power or material objects. I mean, those are the worst, right? People their, their complete identity is wrapped up into the, into the Porsche. You know these guys, right? And what happens when those things are taken away? Now, the career is good. The family is good. The relationship is good. These are all very good things. But we are not allowed to have them to be our glory. Our glory is in what? In the Lord. That's why David is able to say, oh my gosh, my family just fell apart. I just lost my kingdom. I lost all my money. People are trying to kill me. But I know where my glory lies. That, this, is why, this is why he's not hanging himself right now, folks. What happens when stockbrokers when the when the stock market falls out of the bottom? What happens to stockbrokers? There's always a few guys that jump off of buildings. Uh, teen love, right? Teen romances, Romeo and Juliet. What happens when somebody gets dumped? Nice. Remember, remember your first time you got dumped. The, remember the emotions that you experienced when you thought this relationship was going to fix all your problems, make you happy, and then it went away. You wanted to die. Right? Remember your heartbreak that you felt? You wanted to die. And some people do kill themselves because of a broken relationship. Right? Where's their glory? It's tied up into the relationship. I've even seen beautiful marriages. I mean, we're all about having healthy marriages. I've seen beautiful marriages, and the Lord takes one of them too soon. I've seen two expressions of this. I've seen one where the spouse never remarries. They, they never process their grief in the presence of God. Their identity was all wrapped up into that perfect marriage. And they never move on. They never move forward. They continue to be sad. They continue to be lonely. They don't press in. And they never remarry because they're all, their entire identity was, was wrapped up into that marriage. On the other side, I've seen people who lose their spouse and they grieve, right? But in their own way, they move on. Some marry, some don't. But they move on and then there is that peace that transcend, transcends understanding and there is that joy in the depths of their grief. So that's where your glory lies. And then the next part. The way that David is able to sleep at night. And I think we need to get this one. Because you ever feel like guilty and sad and ashamed of things you've done? Like you just really feel like, you know, I've blown it so many times, there's no way that God's gonna... Trust me or have confidence in me. Ever feel this way? I mean, everybody does, really. And the insecure feelings that we have about ourselves because we've blown it um, is another form of anxiety. It's fear. Now, if David was around today, um, I would throw him under the bus in a second. Uh, and, and if I was around in ancient times, I would probably be listening to Absalom. I would be saying, you're absolutely right. David is not fit for leadership. He's a rapist and he's a murderer and he's a bad dad, he's a bad leader. We ha- you know, I had two friends this year, two pastor friends of mine that, that had an affair. And I was just like, you know what? They're not fit to be pastors. Hey, they, you know, there's no, you know, because then there's the okay. Well, we just need to work on restoration and restoring them back into their flock. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, where's the character in this? Where's the consequences in this? Man, it's a really good thing I'm not God. Maybe, maybe God could use me as a consultant, and I can tell him how to deal with people. I. Frankly, I, I, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't change my convictions, but that's not what God does with David. I mean, th- he's blown it, right? He's a bad, he's a bad leader. He's a, he's a scallywag. That's a, that's, that's Greek for a jerk. <laughs> and here, here's, here's, what, here's what happens. He says, "You." Lord, are the lifter of my head. Like when your head is held high, what is that? It's confidence. It's pride. You're, yeah, you don't have shame. You're confident. You're, you're you know you're walking. You're you're carrying a, a, a good pride around you, and it's okay to be confident in who you are to hold hold your head high. But David does not lift his own head. The Lord lifts his head. Huh? It, God is proud of him. God is confident in him. And he's able to see it. Most of us don't see it. You know that? Most of us don't see it. Most of us don't think that God is proud of us or confident in us. Because we've blown it too many times, and you know, but, but look if God is willing to do it with David, he, He's willing to do it with you. So he's the lifter of our heads. He's going to restore our confidence back into us. No matter what we've done. I know. He's in the restoration process. And at the end of uh, Psalms 3, David expresses where his heart really is. Because he says, and, and for the people, Lord, I don't know if you've caught that. So he's able to sleep at night, but he has a he has a concern about the people. Uh, what's the opposite of um, What's the opposite of love? We say hate, but it's actually fear. The opposite of love is fear, and First John four seventeen it says. Perfect love casts out all fear. So whenever we hate, hate is no more than a hate is a manifestation of our fears. It's a manifestation of our anxieties. When we hate, well, it's because we're anxious and we're freaking out about something. Um, Let me read this real quick. This is on your bulletin. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Psalm 139. I'll start at 13. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, the place where I was woven together into the depths of of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are to, to me are your thoughts, God, and how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake I am still with you. Very beautiful, right? I am beautifully and wonderfully made. It's amazing. And then usually preachers stop here when they're reading this because the next part tells you about how he views people. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of your evil intent, your adversaries. They misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. Pretty strong language. Pretty raw pretty real, pretty vivid. I hate them. I'm angry. All right, here we go. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me and lead me into the way of the everlasting. So he's able to he says some pretty, stu- pretty hard stuff. He talks about hatred. But then did you see he, he attaches it to his anxieties? Did you catch that? So he uses hate and anxiety in the, in the same thought. Know my anxious thoughts. He does this in such a healthy way. And at the end of three, he says, you need to consider the people. Yeah, I, I, God, I'm mad. I'm mad at my son. I'm mad at my generals. I'm mad at everybody that wants to kill me. I want to kick their teeth in. Hmm. Create me a new heart, a clean heart. This is because of the language that begins to come out. And it, it is for your people, God. Because David knows that he cannot love unless he is in community and with the people. This is important. Fear, anxiety is self-centeredness. I know we all have problems. And you might have some legitimate things to be worried about and to freaking out about. But if you're you're just all consumed about being anxious and losing sleep over your own specific problems, then you're selfish. David sees this. David's got some real problems, right? He's got real life heavy problems. They're attacking his identity and they're attacking his life. And he says, God, I love people. How do we do that? That, that, that shows us that he's not so self centered. Love is not selfish. Love gives. And he's able to do that in a very specific, specific way. And then the last point is that we need to be able to see a substitute when we're in fear. Remember, we said that you know, uh, God is the shield, right? God is the shield. And what do shields take? We know they they defend us from stuff, but this is an advance. This is a this is an aggressive tool, right? The shield is is a, is a thing of force. What do what do what do shields take? They take hits, designed to kill us. You see, the Lord is the shield, Jesus is that shield. The cross is the shield. It was designed for advancement of the kingdom of God. The cross is an aggressive weapon designed to take the hits that are meant to kill us. Jesus took the wounds that we deserved. And he says something else very interesting. He says, I call unto the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain, also known as Zion. And in Zion, well, we got the word of God, but also in Zion, the temple is built. And inside the temple, sacrifices are taking place for the forgiveness of our sins. So he understands very vividly in order for him to move on, in order for him to, to process this stuff. Number one, he can't give up. He can't quit. Number two, he's got to relocate his glory. Number three, he's got he's to tap into community. He's got to make sure that it's just not all about him, thinking about him and his own problems. He's thinking about people. He wants justice because deep down inside, he knows that Absalom is a liar and is going to be a bad leader. And finally, he knows that there needs to be a substitute. He knows that his shield is not good enough. He needs to make the Lord his shield and allow the Lord to lift up his head. All right, if I could have the band and the ushers come to the front. Alright. you anyway, um, what, let's stand. And bow your head, close your eyes. And I just wanna I wanna pray for people that are dealing with anxiety. If you're struggling with, with anxious thoughts that you just you can't control and you can't even quite put your finger on what's eating at you and you feel like this anxiousness is actually physically making you sick, and clinically it does, folks. This is not a spiritual thing. It's a a physical thing. If you let your anxieties get the best of you, you'll get physically sick. So if this is affecting your whole being, I want to encourage you to raise your hand, and I'm just going to pray for you where you're standing. If you guys are feeling anxiety and fear, okay. Yeah, quite a few of you. Quite a few of you. The, quite a few of you. The Psalms were written to impart wisdom, a supernatural wisdom onto us, and a power onto us. So as we read this, I just want you—I want to encourage you. You just need to let the Word of God seep into your being. Let me pray for you right now, Father. Right now, we just pray for everybody that is dealing with this debilitating. Fear that anxiety that that, that freezes you that ansi- that anxiety that keeps you from moving forward, that anxiety that eats you up from the inside out, God, we know that that is not of you, that it is not a healthy fear, God right now, I just pray right now we will put our trust and our faith in you, your word says to fear the Lord, God, we know that we will have to fear something, so God we put our trust and our faith in and our fear in you, God. I pray right now that you will give our people here the ability to process and to pray their anxieties out in your presence, God. We say no more, no more will our fears dictate and rule our lives. No more will we be mastered by our fears. But we will be able to put them in their proper place at the feet of God, and we will be able to pray our anger and our disappointment. But we will be able to have the tools that David had that said, But the Lord says, I am a son of God. But the Lord says to move forward and don't retreat. The Lord says that you are my mighty shield. The Lord says, you are the lifter of my head. So we identify right now with these truths, God. May they be imparted onto us in a supernatural way. Bless this offering, Lord Jesus.